This is the Job Stories Podcast, how people find work that matters. Well, yeah, we'll go ahead and get rocking and rolling. Fellas, appreciate y'all coming on the Job Stories Podcast. Turley is a repeat guest. So welcome back, Chris. Glad Haley. to be back. Yeah, awesome. And we have a new guest today, Spencer. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming. So we're going to start with you, Spencer. Yeah. Um, this is what we do with all guests. So do you mind to just introduce yourself real quick? Yeah. And what is your job now? What do you do? Yeah, for sure. Founder and CEO of Captive Demand, a Nashville-based performance marketing company serving small, medium, large companies all over the country, delivering uh, performance-based marketing. Cool. Yep. And you're like a serial entrepreneur. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, so you've done quite a bit. Yeah, I think 30 or so companies. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. Yeah. It's great. A lot of them have failed, but yeah, we're we're doing some work. Well, I mean, that's a theme kind of on this podcast, honestly, yeah. with some founders. Like, you've had to have learned quite a bit from those failures, right? I mean, have you found that true kind of? Has oh, that helped you for what you're doing with your business now? Yeah, I mean, it's just... Any anything you're doing, if you're not failing, you're not going to succeed. So mm. for us, it's just fail fast, fail hard, that's learn good. your lesson, and kind of move on to the next opportunity. Yeah, that's good. I had a buddy on here. Uh, he used the phrase uh, Christian Dominguez. He used the phrase uh, "fell forward." I love it. Yeah, I hadn't heard that before. I know. Oh, it's a hundred percent. I mean, you're learning a lot of lessons, and you know, out of the thirty, I've had four really successful ones. So I wouldn't have had those without doing the other. Mm-hmm you know, the all 30. So I needed those in order to see success. And Mm -hmm. it's great because I learned what I want to do, what I don't want to do, and who I want to work with, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of fun. Yeah, that whole like learn what you don't want to do is a big one too. It's like that's kind of how you find out what you do want to do, right? A hundred percent. There's a lot of things I don't want to do. So yeah, and you don't really know because like, you know, in college and everything, you're just trying to figure out everyone's telling you what you should do. Yeah. But really just doing it in action, I think, is the best way to figure it out. The quickest way is just, you know, take a risk. Yeah. 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 Chris Turley came on the podcast. You you talked about Pro Scout business development. I mean, have you found these concepts kind of true with Pro Scout as well, kind of as you're running that? Yeah, I think you guys kind of struck a chord on a few things. Truly, it's uh, I feel like when you um, when you stop learning, you stop living. Mm. And I just think, um, you know, along the way, you're going to, you know, trip fall a few times but you know i think as long as you're um learning from it and picking yourself back up and getting back on the horse i think that's what separates the um the success stories from some of the failures you know that's good i uh spencer i was gonna ask you this too because you're you've have all your businesses been in tennessee or in nashville have you done most of your business Uh, here most of them here a little bit in michigan so when i first started in michigan i was doing buy sell trade as a kid so that's where i started just buying goods during the housing crisis in 2008 a lot of businesses were going out of business in michigan i was buying stuff and then reselling it oh, and wow. then chased my now wife down here to nashville and and kind of launched a bunch of businesses here as well so what's i i think i talk about this a lot i'm kind of leading the witness because i do that but like i've been so impressed with uh let's say the startup community in nashville yep. like there's something in the water it's very collaborative Did you experience that here as well, building businesses here? 100%. Like, I tell everyone, like, I'm not afraid to ask people for help. Mm. But growing up near Detroit, what you find is, like, most people didn't want to help you. They didn't want to take the time. But when I moved down here, it was pretty crazy just to see you shoot an email, you call somebody. They'll Mm. pick up the phone. They'll respond to your email Mm. as long as they know you're sincere. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we always pay it forward. So that's kind of the thing. Now I take that same approach if someone reaches out to me. Mm. 
I also have those conversations just to make sure that the community is moving forward when it comes to entrepreneurship. Yeah, I love that. That's And that's been, because you've been doing it a lot longer, having run a business in Nashville than I have, but I have found that. There's been so many people that just are willing to help. Yeah. It's insane. And I think that's the biggest takeaway is like a lot of people just won't ask, right? Mm. Like it's just you got to ask the question mm. in order to get the answer. And if you do that, people will help you out. You just have to be sincere and you got to also let people know what they're going to get out of the relationship. I think that's important. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And Turley, you're from Chattanooga originally. Yeah. Chattanooga born and raised, uh, moved to Nashville almost six years ago, met this guy through uh, some mutual connections. And, um, I'll tell you, it just, um, it's really interesting because, like, when I first started Pro Scout, I thought Atlanta was going to be the next spot mm-hmm. for Pro Scout to expand as we grew. Mm-hmm. And guess what? I fished in Atlanta for six months and didn't walk away with one client mm-hmm. after I started the company. And uh, came up to Nashville, and they came um, came up to us with open arms. It's mm-hmm. been a great it's been a great spot. I I second everything you guys are saying about Nashville. Yeah, and you're uh, just having known you for a couple years now. Like you're so big on the relationship stuff. I mean, that's. Nashville people, that's how they are. Coming from L.A., it was very much like, uh, I used to get this feeling, and I had a ton of insecurities in myself, too, so I can't I can't blame everything on everybody else. But like, it did very much feel like people needed me to be able to offer them something before. Like It was like, well, who do you know? Or whatever. In Nashville, it seems it's very much been like, oh, somebody helped me out. Like you were saying, somebody helped me out, so I'll help you out. You know, I've just felt that here. So it's cool to hear y'all say that too. Um, so we came on today because we had some fun ideas. You know, we've been Weld's been podcasting through two different channels for a while: Women in Web Three and then the Job Stories podcast. Uh, but Spencer and I were talking a little bit the other day. You kind of had a fun idea that's coming up. What's yeah, What's well, coming on the world for you? Launch our own marketing podcast and just talk about. You know, there's so many new things happening in marketing that we're working on for our clients, but it's also framing it in a way that other people can see how it works for their business. Mm. So even if I'm working, say, in e-commerce and doing TikTok advertising or marketing, we want to tell other people how they can utilize that. It's not just for e-commerce, but if you're a service business, we want to teach you how you can utilize those tactics. So each episode, our goal is just to provide insight into one specific tactic that we're utilizing and then how you can use that across various industries and whether or not it's relevant for your business. Not everything is going to be relevant for every business, but we do want to tell people how they can use the newest marketing methods. And that's kind of our goal. I love that. What are some of the, who would a like a guest be like who I meant to ask you that the other day. Yeah. I mean, it's any, any business owners or operators typically that are, you know, trying to grow their business Mm -hmm. and so talking through the challenges that they're having with their business Mm -hmm. and then me and my buddy jordan just kind of going into all different types of marketing methods he's a marketer as well so we're just trying to kind of help people out for free we we work with a lot of companies and we see a lot of pitfalls Mm -hmm. where people fail and so again we're trying to help folks not make the same mistakes that some of our clients have made in the past and so we take mm-hmm. all that knowledge we've learned over the past, you know, couple of years running captive demand and then push that forward so other folks can understand how to operate effectively. Yeah, yours is going to be, uh, it sounds like just a really valuable, like a resource almost for people to go to, almost an educational piece a little bit. Yeah, every, every episode we do, our goal is to have a resource that you can download and utilize, whether or not that's 
you know, a marketing mix calculator or something like that. We want every episode to have a tool that folks can take with them and Mm. utilize later on. Y'all are real big into SEO stuff, yeah? Yeah. Like, so how does that – talk a little bit about that because that's kind of new to me, but like is it, will that play a piece for the podcast as well? Oh, 100%. I mean our biggest thing is like with – SEO is our biggest category for our, for our company for sure. But most people get inundated with all these different SEO companies reaching out who confuse them. And really it's just about making great content, great copy – Mm. That kind of thing. So we're really trying to develop our own content hub for ourselves, Mm. but also teach folks how to do SEO as well internally. If you can't work with us, that's fine. But we're also here to help as a resource at Captive Demand. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, Do you have a name for it already? Yeah, it's Big Marketing Guys. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, well, yeah, so we'll link that whenever it comes out and make sure we're like kind of promoting that. That's awesome. Turley, you interested in podcasting at all? You know, it's something I think uh, there were a couple of guys we were kicking around some ideas uh, <laughs> a couple days ago about Over that. Over some Bud Lights. Yeah. Uh, is that, how would that, actually, we didn't talk about this yet. So you actually have another position that you've taken recently since Pro Scout, running Pro Scout. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I sure did. So, um, you know, I own Pro Scout Business Development. I still actually own and operate that company, but it's more on a contract basis for now. Hmm. Um, One of my clients about six months ago pulled me aside and said, I want you to come on and join our team as an executive director. And I'm like, I'm not sure I qualify for that, but, you know, now I'm not really willing to give up my own shop to do it. And he said, did I ask you to give up your own shop? (laughs) I said, no, I don't think so. He said, I really want you to come join the team and, uh, and help us grow this. So I joined um, Triton Leadership Group almost six months ago. I'm working with two really, really good guys who I know you both have met, um, mm-hmm. Steve Kolnich and Scott Randazza. And both of those guys um, came from Coca-Cola mm-hmm. and uh, several other companies that uh, they, they brought some experience to. And it's been a it's been a good run with those guys so far. We're having a good time. So you're doing business development for them. Um, you know, really as an executive director, it encumbers a lot of things. So it's partially business development, a little bit of marketing here and there. Um, but really where I think we all share the core mm-hmm. is that the reason why Triton was started is because each of us had real problems finding consultants that really understood practical business mm-hmm. as opposed to theory. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's why we have Triton there is to work with primarily private equity groups uh, family offices, public and private companies mm-hmm. that really they don't need technical experience. They need practical business experience to bring to the table when they're going through some form of a transition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we were talking about the other day, uh, how valuable, uh, podcasting has been for us just as we've grown our small business. Um, yeah. Are, are you looking at it, Spencer, for as kind of even a, a growth opportunity as well? You have this kind of educational piece too, but like, it's gotta be, help y'all with y'all's content too, right? Like there's so many different ways to use podcasting now to like grow a business. Yeah, I mean, it's what we talked about basically was just like taking that content, chopping it up and distributing it across platforms. It's what we see our clients doing, mm. kind of the future of where people are, are is going, you know, is like, let's just get out there, have a conversation. And why not? We're having these conversations all day. It's like us having beers and ha- talking about mm-hmm. podcasting. Mm-hmm. Why not share that with the world so they can learn something from it instead of just having it behind closed doors? Mm-hmm. Then you take that content, you distribute it across channels, whether you make blog posts or do TikTok videos, mm-hmm. you do that and you've got a ton of content that you can distribute. That's a resource for your potential clients. Yeah, it's almost like daunting to like, like it gets daunting to... Um, 
consider trying to keep up with the amount of content there is and the amount of platforms there are. That's why we came here to Classic 77 because we're like, we got to have somebody help. Yeah. Because it like gets daunting to think about. But I think the thing is, is just like starting it. Yeah. I mean, if it works, great. If it doesn't, we're mm-hmm. having these conversations anyway. So that's how we see it. We might as well just record them. We've got totally. content. And here's the thing. You might not take off right away, but say you're two years down the road and something does take off. Mm-hmm. Well, people have a backlog that they can go listen to, mm-hmm. which so you've got valuable content later on that folks can listen to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Charlie, uh, anything on your mind with podcasting? Something you're interested in? Yeah, I got a little bit of a repeat inspiration. customer of the Job Stories podcast. Yeah, yeah I got a little <laughs> inspiration from a couple guys. So, um, in fact, I decided I was working on the logo today, which I've kind of shared with you guys. We're still tweaking a little bit of it, but um, we're actually going to start a deal exploder next year. So it's going to be this bridge between um, private equity and private business, to where we can kind of understand this X variable in the middle. You know, what are some things to be thinking about, you know, if you're wanting to set the business up to sell, do you want to set the business up for, you know, reaching higher profit margins on your own? Do you want to set yourself up to sell? Um, But I think we'll also be working through that process, answering private equity groups questions Mm. from different perspectives, but also bringing in other people for inspiration, um, other people for just, you know, different things that if you just have questions, you want to get answered from a high level person. Lob it over to us. We've already got, as of today, about eight speakers that are already willing to go ahead and come on the podcast right out of the gates that are um, high-level people. So we're excited about it. Uh, I've already got a question because uh, I'm interested and don't know enough about it, and I should because we do work with startups quite a bit from the recruiting standpoint. Like, What's the difference between PE and VC? Yeah, private equity is a little bit of a different animal. Sometimes you know, people want to – um have majority ownership sometimes you want to have minority ownership and just be able to take on some investment that may be a little bit more speculative a little bit high risk Mm -hmm. Um, it's really what do you want to do and that's where i think people at least these days just aren't having enough of those conversations and then it gets to a point where seniors in a position that he or she are ready to retire Mm -hmm. junior doesn't want the business what do we do next Mm -hmm. right and that's the piece that I think those questions have to be answered first. And then once those are answered, we decide, okay, what trajectory do we want to move the company on? Is it going to be, you know, something we want to venture back? You know, in a startup space, a lot of times to get seed funding, that may be a better path. But if you're a more mature business, which is primarily what we work with, it's one of those you want some type of a path out, but to be able to path it out in a way that makes sense for a legacy. Mm-hmm. You had to see quite a bit of this with your startups, right? Did you learn on the fly with all the VC and PE stuff? Like, I'm in the world a little bit more and more, so I'm learning, but I feel like I'm still way behind on. Yeah, I mean, I've invested in some deals, but like we've always bootstrapped our own companies Mm. just so we would have control Mm. because we've seen things go south, right? Mm -hmm. And so some companies need it, other companies don't. And that's the thing. If you need capital, go out and raise capital, definitely qualify your options like Mm. you know if you're a startup you're not working with a private equity group Mm. you're probably working with a venture capital group so you know later stage businesses definitely go more towards the pe route and you know if if it makes sense do it but for us we try not to have too many investors Mm. that way we retain control over what we do yeah 
Yeah, that's uh, that's where we are right now. So I'm not even enter- I hadn't even entertained for us like any outside capital. But I do- we do work with startups quite a bit. So it's like it's always in these conversations of we just got through Series A. Yeah. What does that actually mean? Like I think I understand the difference between pre-seed and Series A, but like I don't really know. Is there a dummy version y'all can give me right now? I mean, the biggest thing, I guess, from my perspective, you're just building your runway to grow the business. Mm -hmm. And the venture capitalists that you're working with are hoping that you have a massive exit. And a venture capitalist is looking for like one or two wins out of 10, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's a very speculative investment um, that they're throwing their money at. And if you're, you know, an entrepreneur with a a seed stage idea or Mm -hmm. something with, a very minimal MVP, something that's just barely working, so you have proof of concept, that's usually the route you go with working with VCs. But again, I don't. I think a lot of people think you need to have venture capital money. I don't think it's always necessary to get investment mm. from, from the jump because you don't know what value you can build into your company, mm. right? So oh, I love that. I think one point though too, and one thing that we can all attest to is because we all bootstrapped our businesses. I mean, I started my my company ProScout with a ten thousand dollar layoff check from a bank mm. that lasted almost nine years um, to joining Triton and still you know owning ProScout and doing some other things. Um, but it's one of those that the lessons you learn through bootstrapping, just like Spencer said. I mean, I think that sometimes people just go direct to VC or it's like, we got to do a fundraise, but it's like, we really need to prove the concept first. Mm-hmm. Inject a little bit of your own time and energy and effort into it before you do that and see where it takes you. You know, you're going to learn lessons that'll last you a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And your own money too. Like you, we see this a lot, like people who have never invested their own money in their company, they're not going to spend that nearly as well mm-hmm. if they're taking on other people's mm-hmm. money because it's not theirs. Yeah. So that's the thing. You, you have to feel that pain a little bit of what it's like to invest in something Mm. and you know if it doesn't work it doesn't work you take the hit on that Mm. and i think you need that because a lot of people spend money very frivolously when it comes to vc no that's really good it's got to mean way more to you if you know if you did it yeah Yeah. and that's the other thing it's like also you feel a lot better at the end of the day that you invested your money into it now if you're looking you've got an open market right and you want to scale quickly that's when I'm like, okay, then you entertain on taking money so you can own a market mm-hmm. if you want to do that. Same with private equity. There's a lot of opportunity there to grow a business. But when you're launching, unless you have something that's really capital intensive, then try and do as much as you can on your own. Mm-hmm. Get that proof of concept. Mm, that's good. And I think also, and that's part of the reason why, you know, for um, the Deal Exploder podcast, that I think that when you start to uncrate that too, is that you better make sure that culturally you fit mm. because sometimes you say, well, you know, I'm ready to get absorbed by private equity, but you don't really understand going into that process that, you know, like you were talking about earlier, Spencer is like, you know, you're at the stage where, you know, you own 51% of the company. Now you have equity that's in majority mm-hmm. and those same decisions you've been making can change overnight. Those are things that you really have to think through. And it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's going to be a large vetting process that you need to take the time and diligence to understand before you do that, is this something we really want to do? Mm. And make sure you pick the right group. And you see too, like you see people get thrown out of their own companies, Mm. which is one thing you want to evaluate to make sure there's alignment before you take that deal. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it happens a lot more often than you'd think, Mm. you know, a a founder's 
invested a lot of time and effort into a business and then private equity comes in, takes a majority stake, throws out the founder, places their own own person into the company to run it. Hmm. Yeah, that's what I, I would be a listener of this podcast idea you have because that's I don't know a lot of this stuff. And hearing stories between like even like a private equity group and then maybe the maybe a CEO or somebody from a portfolio company, mm-hmm. like hearing that dynamic would be amazing. That too. And also right now what we're hearing in the space is that, you know, so there's with a private equity group, you have platform companies, portfolio companies, and a lot of times folks are looking to put in add-ons, hmm. especially as we start to look into um, Q1 of next year. I'm hearing that right now people are wanting tuck-ins and add-ons. So it's one of those that, that you know, those one to $5 million businesses that you can pick up that make sense. They still take a lot of times the same amount of diligence that it takes to bring on a, a portco or a platform. Hmm. That's another piece that I think is so important. Um, and that's where I've just been thankful to work with the Triton guys because both of those guys came from leadership team at Coca-Cola. Yeah. And just the things that I'm learning every single day are really humbling but really exciting at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's what I hope to also convey through this podcast too, but also learn how I have through your podcast and your podcast, man, everybody's got something to give if you sit back and you listen. Right. And um, I'm, I'm excited about it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anyone doing anything like that, looking at a deal from both sides. So mm-hmm. I'm excited about it. You know, what, what are the things in due diligence that mm-hmm. investors look into? What are the things that hold up a deal? Like, I think all that stuff is valuable. Especially if you're like, if it's a like someone from a P group and then uh, again, someone from the portfolio company, and then just literally um, giving them feedback in real time, like, this is why we felt comfortable investing in you, and then vice versa, right? Like, that would be kind of wild to see. <laughs> like, just in real time, that or relationship. Here's what we did like. About or that. It, yeah. it could go there too. This is, we actually were really nervous about this, but you proved us wrong or whatever. I didn't think this was going to work. Yeah. yeah. You're that's really like, cool. Yeah. That's that X variable. And that's the piece we're working on the branding right now because it's like, you know, you either explode, which is a great thing, like we grew, or we failed. Mm. So I'm pumped about it. But am I right in that? But by the time it gets to private equity, it's like a pretty safe bet at that point. More times than not, I mean, not always, right, I guess. Isn't that, am I right in that? Like in terms of uh, the company doing pretty well. The odds, yeah, the the odds odds. of success are much higher, yes. Yeah. It's really contingent upon really, at the end of the day, what do you want? Um, And like the companies we work with, they're generally speaking somewhere in that 10 to 15 million of EBITDA or greater. So they've got a track record. They've been doing it a long time. Some of them are determining what they want to do when they grow up. And sometimes it's exit. Sometimes it's hold. It's back to what do you want to leave as a legacy? If you want to leave any legacy at all. Sometimes Mm. people are just like, I'm done with it. I don't really care what happens. I've run a lifestyle business. Mm. I just want out. Mm. Some of them are like, you know, I want to be able to leave a legacy for my family. It's really Mm -hmm. contingent upon what's important to you. Mm -hmm. And as you were alluding to earlier, making sure that what you want aligns with what the equity group or the venture capital group, however it is that you want to put that together, that you have alignment. Mm. There's a lot more opportunity right there, too, now, because a lot of baby boomers are retiring Mm. and passing their businesses down to their kids who don't necessarily want the business. Oh, wow. So there's a ton of opportunity for private equity to pick up those successful businesses and run them and everybody wins because the kid doesn't want to step in as the CEO of that company. Yeah, that's right. 
And I wonder what that's like lately because, I mean, I don't know. But in our world, there's been – people always ask me, well, how's the hiring going right now? Because there's, like, layoffs all the time, like, yeah. all the time. I wonder what that's looked like from an investment standpoint, you know, at the end of this year, heading into next year. Like, it's, do you know if these people talked about, is it picking up or staying the same or slowing down? I wonder what it's like. I mean, deals are getting better right now. I mean, it's harder to operate as a company. I mean, we're seeing it with some of our e-commerce clients where business is slowing – especially if it's a more premium product, you know, that's pretty expensive. Mm -hmm. Sales are slowing. So, you know, there's things like that that are changing uh, just the economic landscape in general. Mm -hmm. So people are deciding, look, I just want to get out of this, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So you see that a lot, people being able to pick up those businesses pretty quickly mm -hmm. and do a deal. And any time like that, there's always a ton of opportunity in a time like this for investors. Yeah. And business operators. Yeah, I agree. I've, I've heard that from the private equity groups I'm talking to is that the key word that they're talking about right now is selective, mm. where it was just so, you know, like wide open for so long that now they're starting to get a little bit more selective and do a little bit more diligence than before to yeah. make sure, you know, hey, this is going to be a really good bet. You got to qualify the deals. It's like, I mean, that's the thing. You see the stock market. A lot of companies are overvalued. And that's how the market's been running. But if you look statistically, the best companies ever come out of a recession mm. just because they got to be scrappier. Mm. They, if they can survive, they're doing well. And I'm seeing it even with our marketing agency. Uh, you know, we've been thankful that we can retain our clients and that, you know, they're happy with us. But a lot of folks in the space just aren't continuing to do business. Mm. So it's and it's just because they can't handle the mm. recession out. Uh, economy so that's just part of it you know I may be just way too optimistic but for what we deal with in hiring it's like I, I do think we're headed to a place where there's like um, almost uh, more demand like than there is like supply like there's like a lot of open jobs so it's like you know what I'm saying like, well I think part of this too for you guys is like qualifying candidates that's right the there's so mm -hmm. many candidates out there mm -hmm where a lot of companies had a hard time getting the best talent. Mm -hmm. Now some of the best people are getting laid off, so there's yeah. opportunity to hire. That's but right. these companies are going to need help qualifying candidates. That's it. Yeah, the vetting process is huge because it's not the same for everybody that we see, right? Like you were talking about cultural fits earlier. That's a big one. I mean, a lot of the – especially these leaner, smaller startups, like their first maybe one or two hires are really impactful. Like teams aren't that big, so they, they really are being very um, uh, intentional about the types of folks they're bringing on their team just from a, you know, do they fit in well with our group or whatever. I mean, we see it a lot. One thing, too, that is really, really hot right now, I was talking to two people last week for Triton, and I ran out of both of those calls with two resumes mm. with very, very high-level people that are very good at what they do, and you know what the snag was with them? Mm. I can't work remote. Yeah. That's been interesting. Uh, they they didn't want to work remote. And these are people that are borderline, you know, bolt to the C-level people. Mm -hmm. And they're saying they can't even work remote. True. And that's, uh, that's a showstopper for them. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of that change now. The remote thing got so popular, right? Especially during COVID. It got so, so popular. But, like, now we're seeing especially people building businesses they're like no we want to build it here in nashville and we want our team here 
even if we need to fly them in once every quarter, we'll do that. But like for the full, full remote thing, it does seem like it's like kind of people are loving coming back in and being in the office again, I guess. I don't know. Well, I know for me, like with having a kid and everything, it's yeah. nice to get out of the house. Mm-hmm. So that was the biggest thing. I'm like, I got to get in the office. <laughs> like, I was working from home. It was just getting crazy. I'm like, I got to get out of here. Totally. And I've been so much more productive, but knowing you know, that I can work with the team in office or go home, I think is it's great to have that option, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think hybrid is going to win, but yeah. you do have to have the collaboration with your team in right. person, I think. Yeah, managing a team in person is a way different ballgame than remote. Yes. There are people that do it. Um, uh, Matt Tate, his group, they've been remote forever over at Decimal. I need to call him and ask him, like, man, he just, they do it really, really well. There's some people that do it really well. And I'm sure you heard, but they just bought one of KPMG's companies. I saw it, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's crushing it. Yeah. They get it. But yeah, I think that, that cooler talk is important. I mean, I think that you have to have collaboration as a team. But um, to, to tell someone, especially a high-level person, that, you know, you don't have an opportunity to work here because you're in office mm-hmm. 100%, mm-hmm. I don't know about that. Totally. Yeah, it's, yeah, totally. Yeah, we do have, on the other end, though, we do have candidates that, like, very much will be, like, if it's not fully remote, like, thanks, but, like, don't holler at me until you have something that's fully remote. It's, like, that's been the thing that's crazy because my brother's been in hiring for a while now, and that's, like, it's, like, a demand with some candidates, especially in tech. They'll be, like, "Uh, it has to be remote. Right. You see some companies too now doing a hundred percent async meetings too, mm. to where it's just they're uploading a loom video of what they want to say, uh, and it gets sent to the team. And I'm like, that would drive me nuts. I have to have wild. some collaboration, you know.